So I, I'm realizing that the older I get, um, the more I'm becoming like my dad. I don't know if any of you guys out there are uh, realizing that, that, you know, as you start to get older, you just start to see yourself and hear yourself saying things, and you're like, that's so something my dad would say. Um, I, my kids, my wife, they'll catch me from time to time. I remember a time just recently, I cracked a joke in the kitchen, and they're just all looking at me, straight-faced, rolling their eyes. They're like, all right, G-Dad, which is what my kids call my dad, granddad. They're like, all right, granddad, we, we see what you're doing there. Um, so, so maybe that's happening for some of you here this morning. Maybe you're watching online and you can relate to that situation. Uh, so before you get too scared that uh, soon you'll be wearing a cell phone and a clip on your belt or socks with sandals, okay? Um, let me tell you that in the context of this series that we've been doing called Homecoming, looking at the story of the, uh, that Jesus told once about the prodigal son, that actually... Our goal throughout this whole series leading up to this morning as we close it out is that we are all on a journey to become more like the Father. We're actually all on a journey and the ultimate end goal of that journey is to become more like our dad. Not our earthly dad, our heavenly Father. You see, if you're just joining us here for the very first time uh, in this series, you might think, well, man, it's just one story. Why talk about it for more than one week? Well, I think it's been good because we've been able to really spread this story out and look at the story Jesus was telling from different perspectives. And maybe, maybe as we look at this story, see a little bit of ourselves in the story itself. So, so we spent a week looking at the younger son who ran away. We spent a week looking at the older son. And I wonder if, like me, as we, we dug a little deeper into this story, that some of us could see some of ourselves in that rebellious young son. It's kind of a reflection, a mirror of some of the stuff in our own hearts that kind of sends us away from Father God at times. Maybe we saw a little bit of ourselves in that self-righteous older brother, the brother who checked every box, kept all the rules, felt unjustified by the father's treatment of the younger son. But whether it's the young son or the older brother, ultimately, ultimately, I want us all to be on a journey to relate most to the father. That's where I think Jesus has taken us, to come to a place where we relate not to the younger son, not to the older brother, but to the father himself. You see, you might remember if you were here in weeks earlier that we explained the importance of understanding why Jesus was even telling this story in the first place. You see, to understand why Jesus was telling this story about this son who ran away, you need to go back to the very beginning of the chapter to, to figure out who he's telling the story for. We can find it in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. So he's getting this reputation for hanging out with the, the wrong crowd. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, the church leaders of his day, it made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, which in that culture was basically saying, I'm okay with you guys. I'm willing to come to your house for dinner. So because of this, Jesus told them this story. So that's Jesus' motivation. 
This is why Jesus is telling this story, because these church leaders, they've kind of got things upside down. And they're about to hear a story about a father that is going to blow their minds. Because they're going to discover that all of their understanding up to this point, all of their, um, the things that they thought they knew about the nature of God, they've got it completely upside down. Jesus is about to introduce them to a perspective of Father God that they've never seen before. It's going to blow their minds. And as wild as it was for those original listeners to hear Jesus tell this story, I think today, 2,000 years later, there are still some of us who have a hard time still wrapping our heads around the idea of this, this portrayal of God as this father that Jesus introduces in the story. It kind of goes against what we think God should be like. You see, Jesus introduces these Pharisees, these religious leaders, to a father who is a representation of Father God that is unlike anything they've ever seen before. The first thing that would have surprised them in this story that we just saw replayed in that video, the first thing that would have surprised them was the fact that Jesus was presenting God as a God of crazy, extravagant love. The father in the story represented a father who displayed crazy, extravagant love. What do I mean by that? Well, we can see in verse 20, of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling the story. He says, and while, talking about the father, sorry, sorry, talking about the son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. In this one short sentence, there is so much truth, so much insight packed into this short sentence about the nature of God himself. It's describing a God that the, the Jewish leaders just couldn't imagine, a God of crazy, extravagant love. You see, culturally, a father would never run anywhere. In this culture, a father, a landowner, the head of the household, it was so incredibly undignified for him to run. And more than that, in order to run to meet his son, he would have been wearing some sort of long cloak or garment. He would have had to hike that up, bare his legs, which was incredibly um, unheard of in that time, in order to run to meet the son. I knew of a missionary once who, um, in today's culture, was a missionary to Lebanon. And the particular rural area where he was a missionary, there was a lot of um, shepherds, a lot of farmers, and, and he said it was actually almost like um, as the world developed, this part of the world stayed the same. It was very similar to the culture in which Jesus would have uh, lived 2,000 years ago. And this missionary said he used to love sharing the gospel with the folks of this community. And this was one of the favorite stories he got to tell. Because the people in these communities, it just made no sense to them. Because when he would get to the line about the father running out to meet his son, they would stop him. They'd say, that's crazy. That makes no sense. A father like that, a father, a, a, a leader of a family in our culture would never run. 
In actual fact, in our culture, the slower you walk, the more dignified you are. There's a poise, there's a a properness. This father was the complete opposite of what any dignified, well-respected person should be. But the father in Jesus' story represents a love for his son that's crazy, that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't just end there. It's not just the speed in which he runs out to meet him. The next verse tells us that in verse 22, his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. I can remember when I was 16, 17 years old maybe, um, getting a brand new pair of white pants, kind of white linen pants. I mean, these were sharp, okay? They went perfectly with this pastel shirt I had, espadrilles. I mean, (laughs) I looked good, all right? I didn't drive a Ferrari at the time, but if I had, that would be the only thing separating me from Sonny Crockett. I mean, I just was the spitting image of that guy right there. It was uncanny. (laughs) My hero. I just wanted to dress like that guy there. (laughs) And I tried. And I don't know how I looked. I'm glad that we didn't have as much social media and cameras back then as we do today. But I do know this. When I was wearing those white pants, and that I I felt like a million dollars. I felt good. And I know that all of you here this morning, there's something, there's an outfit you've got, maybe it's your favourite pair of cowboy boots, I don't know what it is, but there's something you wear, and when you're wearing it, you feel like a million bucks. And clothes can do that, can't they? Isn't it funny how an outfit can change the way you carry yourself and the way you feel? Well, no more so than the clothes that the father put upon his son. You see, it may not sound like much, a a robe, a ring, even a pair of shoes, but in that culture, that outfit, even the shoes, signified wealth and value and acceptance and belonging. And the father insisted that the son be clothed in this outfit. And did you notice what it said as well? It said, the father said, okay, now let's keep an eye on him for a while. Let's make sure he's had a serious heart change. Let's really watch his behavior. And if he shows us that he's changed, then and only then we'll get him some new clothes. It doesn't say that, does it? That's what it should have said in the mind of the Pharisees because that was the picture of God that they had. But when Jesus tells the story... He doesn't, say, he doesn't just say, put the finest clothes on him. He says, quick, bring the outfit as fast as you can. This crazy, extravagant father couldn't wait to welcome his son back into the family. That alone would have blown the minds of these religious leaders and their concept of who that father represented in God. But then on top of that, Jesus goes on. And he introduces them to this God who is a God of unconditional love. Unconditional love. You see, what would have amazed Jesus' audience was the way that the Father loved both the sons. That he wanted both of them in his presence, in relationship with him. One of the sons he ran out to meet, greeted them with an embrace and a kiss. 
The other son, he left the banquet to find and say, listen, I want you inside with me. I want you here with me celebrating the return of your brother. The problem was the older son didn't think it was fair. He didn't think that the younger son deserved the same amount of love as he did. After all, the younger son had run. He'd stayed home. Why would the father show the same amount of love to both sons? That's not fair. We're coming up to Christmas and maybe some of you parents out there, uh, especially parents of younger children, are are already starting to think through what's fair. Because when it comes to Christmas, you can't buy more stuff for one kid than the other, can you? Even if all one of your kids wants is this, There's that pressure, isn't there, to be like, well, if I'm spending this much on this one, I better spend the same amount on this one. We had some friends a few years ago who posted this on uh, Facebook or Instagram, and it was their Christmas Day, kids opening their gifts, and it was just the best video ever. Because their son, he was about 10, 11, 12 at the time, all he wanted was a Nintendo Switch. They'd just come out, they were worth like $300, something like that. So you see him opening this box, and in it is this $300 gaming system, and he's just over the moon, he's jumping around, he's like, yeah! Then his little sister, she's about five, six years old. Um, If you're a parent of a daughter that age, you'll know that slime is a big thing right now. And in order to make slime, one of the chief ingredients of slime is glue. Okay, you need plenty of glue to make slime. Some of the parents here in the room are nodding, saying, yep, been there, cleaned up that mess. So in this video, he's just opened up this $300 game system. Well, now his, his sister opens this massive box And inside is an industrial Costco size bottle of glue. I mean, it's like this big. It probably cost about 10 bucks. But the look on that girl's face, she's like, it's glue! More glue than I've ever seen. You can even hear the brother in the background saying, it's just glue. It didn't seem fair, but to those two kids, they both got exactly what they wanted. God loves us with this unconditional love. And while the older brother didn't seem like it was fair, it's it's almost like God was saying, I can't help myself. He's my favourite. And you're my favourite. You're all my favourite. I love you all so much. There's nothing any of you can do that will make me love one of you more than the other. There's nothing any of you can do that will make me love one of you less than the other. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they couldn't wrap their heads around this idea of a God who loved so unconditionally. There was another another story that Jesus told once about a wealthy landowner. And in this parable, he hired these different workers throughout the day. So some he hired very early on in the day. They worked all day long. Others later in the day. And then a few of them he hired just in the last few hours of the day. So all of them worked the farm, and when it came to be the time of being paid, in the story, Jesus says the landowner who represents God, he paid all of them the same amount of wages. Well, the guys who'd worked all day said, hey, that's not fair. How do they get the same as me? I did more. And there's a great verse Jesus says in Matthew 20:15, talking about the response of the landowner who is represented as God, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? 
You see, Jesus is wanting this, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and I think us today to understand this image of this crazy, extravagant father who loves us unconditionally. And as we've developed through this series, here's why I felt like it was so important to to land on this final challenge as we close out, because we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. That's the story of the prodigal son. It's Jesus opening, kind of pulling back the curtain so we can see ourselves through the eyes of the Father. And here's why. Here's why it's so important that you understand that this morning. Because I think when you do understand that, when you start to grasp the way Father God sees you this morning, it changes your understanding of who you are and your purpose in life. So I'm going to try something here. You're going to have to give me a little bit of uh, grace as I try. So I want to illustrate this. And in order to illustrate this, you're not all going to see it, so you might have to watch the screens there, but I'm going to do some drawing, Okay. So let's see how this goes. So there's my flip chart. Is that straight case? No. (laughs) She'll let me know if it's not. So so this line, okay, for those who can see it, starts here and goes to here. This represents our life. Okay, there are two fixed points. There's the point our life begins and the point our life ends. We all know this point. We've got it on our birth certificate. None of us know for sure that point. We're all somewhere along this line. So if I live to be, let's say, 80, then I'm obviously just slightly less halfway along this line in my mid-30s. So I'll put myself about, I don't know what's funny about that. Um, But basically, as we live our lives, as we move our way along this line, in every one of us, there's, there's a question we're asking, and it's this question. It's very simple. It's who am I? Who am I? That's that's the question all of us are asking as we work our way along this line. And there's a few things that determine the answer to this question. So one of these things is I am what I do. I am what I do. So that might be I graduated high school. I graduated college. I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm an executive, I'm a a school teacher, I'm a mum, whatever it is, and and we kind of find some value and some importance in who am I? Well, I am what I do. Another thing that factors the question, who am I, is I am what other people say. What other people say about me. So I am what other people say about me. I love it when I hear people say, he's a great guy. She's an amazing lady. She's a wonderful mum. They're a great leader in our community. Those, those things, they, they influence us. They help us discover who we are, what people say about us. And then finally, I think there's one other thing, and that is that I am what I have. That's a big one for us here in uh, central Illinois. You know, we live in a lovely community here in Washington. So for many of us, what defines us, what helps us understand who we are is what I have. I have this lovely house. I have this three-car garage. I drive this car. I've got this. I've got, you know, and, and these things define us. So then what happens, and here's why it's important to understand this. What happens is we start to live our lives, starting here, And things we do, and things people say about us, 
things we have start to accumulate, and we, we start to feel good. We start to go above this line, but then someone says something about us that wasn't too kind, and if you're like me, you can have 50 people say something nice about you, but that one person that says something nasty, and you're like, oh, that hurt. You forget all the good things, and you only focus on that one. But then you start thinking about all the things you're doing, and you feel good, but then, then maybe the job changes, you lose the job, and, and now what you do is affected. You find yourself falling down here again. You find a new job and you get some good stuff and you buy some new stuff and now what you have is making you feel good but then you lose some of what you have and, and basically our life is spent all the way to the day we die up and down, up and down, up and down. And in trying to figure out who we are basically we're just trying to stay above this line. We just want to stay in this zone because when I feel good about what I have when I feel good about what I do, when I feel good about what people say about me, that keeps me in the good zone. I don't like this zone. So this is basically called surviving. Just trying to live our lives above the line. Do you know, before Jesus did anything, before he healed anyone, before he did any teaching, he went off for 40 days and he was tempted in the desert. We can read about this in Matthew. It says that Jesus was tempted by the devil. So for 40 days, he's praying and fasting before going off to do all of his ministry. And the devil comes alongside and starts to tempt him. The devil tempts him three times. And I'm going to tell you this morning how the devil tempted him. The first time, the devil said, Jesus, you should turn stones into bread. Because you could do that. You should turn stones into bread because that would influence what you do. Think of the, the power. Think of how much um, you could gain from knowing what you can do. The second temptation, the devil took Jesus to the highest point in the city. He said, if you jump off of here, God won't let you die. He will send angels to protect you. You could jump off this tower right now and angels would come and catch you. Imagine if you did that. Imagine what people would say. If you did that, that would definitely keep you above that line. The last temptation was the big one. The devil said to Jesus, listen, if you won't do those first two things, then do this. Worship me, follow me, and I'll give you everything. All these kingdoms, all this earth, everything, I'll give it, I will give you control of all of it. Wouldn't it be great to know you have so much? These three areas, what we say, oh sorry, what people say about us, what we do, what we have, those are the three ways in which Jesus was tempted. And he didn't give in to any of them. And do you know why I think he didn't give in to them? Because we would be tempted to. It's because prior to going out onto this 40-day um, journey into the wilderness, we learn in Matthew 3 that Jesus was baptized before he did any miracles, any teaching, anything at all, Jesus himself was baptized. And listen to what happened in Matthew 3, 16, when Jesus was baptized. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, the Father the father's voice said, this is my son whom I love. With him, 
I am well pleased. He hasn't done anything. No one's said anything about Jesus yet. He doesn't have anything. But already, the Father said, this is my beloved. This is my beloved son. Jesus understood that. When he told the story of the prodigal son, he knew what it meant to be loved by the Father. That's what drove him to do everything he did. Not this. He didn't worry about which side of the line. Because the truth is, I'm sure Jesus had days like this. There were times when Jesus said, when people said terrible things about Jesus. There were times where things he had were taken away from him. When he was crucified, even the clothes he was wearing, the soldiers gambled over. Jesus, like us, experienced these same things. But they didn't sway him. They didn't influence him because he knew who he was in relationship to the Father. The same is true for all of us this morning. You are his beloved sons and daughters. In Psalms 139, the psalmist talks about uh, the fact that before uh, we were even born, while we were still in our mother's womb, God saw us. He loved us. Before anyone formed an opinion about you and your life, before anyone decided your value, God had already determined your value. And that was that you were so loved that you are his beloved. This is the father that Jesus wants us to learn about in the story of the prodigal son. This is the father that Jesus wants you and I to have a relationship with. A father who runs out to meet us. A father who doesn't make us check off a list in order to get the robe, who just wants to, to envelop us with his love and his acceptance. And here's the thing. When you understand this, this doesn't just change your life. It changes the world in which you live. I know it's just a story that Jesus told, but imagine if we could go on in the future of that story. I wonder what would have happened to that younger son and that older son, because odds are, one day they themselves would get married and have children of their own. They would get to be fathers. I wonder what kind of fathers they would have been. I'd like to believe they'd be great fathers, because they'd seen models to them the most amazing father of all. Because they'd understood what it was like to be loved by their father, they would then love others. In Luke 6, Jesus is talking to a crowd. He says, be compassionate as your father is compassionate. When we understand how loved we are by God, it actually helps us love others. I don't know about you, but Sometimes there can be people in our lives, we need God's help to love them. But when we understand that he loves us, and we know who we are, we know at times we can be pretty unlovable. But when we understand how much God loves, it helps us love others. We now get to reflect the Father's love to those that we do life with. So maybe you see yourself in the rebellious young son at times. Maybe you see yourself in the righteous older brother. But ultimately, as we finish out homecoming, I pray that every one of us, it's our desire, our goal, to move towards a place of seeing ourselves in the Father. Let's pray. Father, this is such a revolutionary story that Jesus told. 
because it flew in the face of people's perspective of who God was. The Pharisees, they would have been angry because they, they went against their um, picture of who God was. Those tax collectors, those sinners, they, their eyes would have been opened because they would have realized that this God loves them. Father, help us this morning understand how much you love us. Help us see you. And, and when we do, Lord, help us realize that we are the beloved son. We are the beloved daughter. That we don't have to let the external things in life influence us when we, when we understand who we are in you. It changes how we live our lives. Because we're no longer affected by the ups and downs. Because even in the ups and downs, we know that nothing will ever change how much you love us. So help us to live in that love and help us to reflect that same love to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.